And I'm Noah, and today we have a really special guest, uh, our friend f- from First Class Horror. This is Aaron Doyle. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you um, for being here. If, if you're not aware, First Class Horror is a podcast uh, that's centralized, um, t- correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, centralized around uh, mostly interviews, and there's a little bit of folklore in there. There's a little bit of uh, urban legends. Um, maybe you're better to describe everything, but... Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been a great uh, facet for me, and um, he's. I believe Aaron, you've also recently started doing like movie reviews as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's something I'm going to look to do. Um, it's kind of been proven hard to get as many interviews as I thought I could, um, but the main focus, I suppose, would be would be interviews and trying to ask the questions that I kind of figure I want answered. So it kind of cool. works out. I love it. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your like horror movie background. Did you grow up just loving horror movies as a kid, or did you just kind of find them like later in life? How's that work for you? Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty young. Um, I moved in with my grandparents, and my granddad was like a huge movie guy. Um, so between action movies, the the Jean Claude Van Damme, Jackie Chan movies, <laughs> nice. and then horror movies is kind of. I, I interestingly enough, actually, the first movie that I considered a horror movie that I ever seen that I was terrified of until maybe five, six years ago was Gremlins. Ah, yeah. Which is kind of bizarre. Yeah, yeah, I was actually, it used to make me uncomfortable until I was like 21, 22. Oh, that's funny. We were recently talking about kid movies. I think last week we were talking about kid movies that like made us uncomfortable. Like I I have a thing with Ernest Scared Stupid. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar. But like, yeah, it, I can't watch it to this day, so like I I, I feel that. <laughs> that movie is actually, uh, when you look back on it, that movie is actually kind of terrifying in parts. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's kept me up at night, like even as <laughs> yeah, even as that. an adult. <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely like certain things where um, I don't know, it's just even like the witches was supposed to be. It's like a Roald Dahl like book or Ronald Dahl book, but you're like. Yeah. It's when they made yeah. the movie, it's terrifying. And you're like, how is this for kids? You know, there's just that like psychological aspect of kind of the things that go bump in the night that really like, kind of scare you. And we talked about this when we talked about our last episode, Krampus. But it's, you know, those things where it's like those kind of um, urban legends that, I mean, our grandparents and our parents tell us as kids. And then to, like as a kid to see those kind of, you know, Im- you know, immortalized in these movies with all the like creature effects and, you know, even like Jim Henson's a really good example of that. Like some of the stuff he did is hella creepy, but it's supposed to take like it's for kids. You know, you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that, especially kids of the 90s. I'm not sure in how old you are, but like kids of the 90s, I feel like we grew up with some stuff that like yeah. looking back on it is low key. <laughs> like, oh, was that OK for me to watch? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you, you couldn't get away with that now either. Um, oh, like for I re- sure. Yeah. I recently rewatched um, The Adams Family. 
Oh yeah. Just even some adult references in that that I don't think you would ever see nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's great. That's so cool. Actually, oh, yeah. family is great. We yeah, we just watched it for um we watched the second one, I'm sorry, for the uh for Halloween this year, me and Anna, and uh it's great. I mean that whole like um Native American like play they oh, do yeah. and she like burns <laughs> yeah. everything down. Yeah. God, iconic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't hold up, but you're like, oh, this is so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, Christina yeah, right? Ritchie, though. She's great. She's so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho. Anywho, why don't we get to it? Uh, yeah. So we've got a really exciting pick from Aaron today. We are uh, going over the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from 2003. Really fun movie. Um, Aaron, what, uh, what brought you to this movie specifically? Anything in particular? Um. It was one of those movies I remember seeing, not when it came out, but I was still probably way too young. Yeah. And it just, I, I don't know whether it's like a nostalgic thing now. Um, I Part of me feels like, even though it came out in 2003, uh, there's just, it brings back memories for me. And I, can ki- I kind of get a 90s vibe off it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about the movie. I guess we'll find out. But um, yeah. And there's a lot of people that would probably, I love this movie. Um, now it, a lot of it is nostalgia, but I I do see some good points in the movie as well. Um, I've probably watched it like probably a hundred times, if not more. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it was one of those for me. I uh, so this movie came out when I was thirteen, so I was like crazy too young. My parents obviously weren't gonna let me go to the theaters to see that or take me. But I got a job at a, a video rental store a year a year later. So at 14, I was like, I can finally watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I have the power. It was the first movie I rented as, uh, <laughs> at, like, as an employee there, uh, and I, it it scared me then. <laughs> it was great. But yeah, uh, so at this point, uh, Caitlin, if you want to take it away with uh, interesting yeah. facts, fun facts. Yeah, fun facts. All right, so the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was released on October 17, 2003. It was a widely anticipated remake of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre made in 1974, but it was the fifth movie in the total franchise. The film did well, grossing $107 million um, at the box office, but it received mixed critical reviews, and many fans loyal to the original movie were skeptic about a remake. In 2001, producer Michael Bay created a studio titled Platinum Dunes, to produce low-budget films, and they had their sights set on remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They brought on Scott Kozar, who, and this was his first job as a screenwriter, screenwriter rather, to uh, write the screenplay, and he had a tough job of coming up with ways to reinvent the iconic scenes, such as the hitchhiker scene, that he felt that the, so that he felt the film like wouldn't be a success if they simply did like a shot-for-shot retelling of the original movie. Um, they yeah. definitely needed ways to make it fresh, and that was kind of how Kozar kind of like came into the movie. Uh, the film was directed by Marcus Nispel, and this was his first feature-length film, having made a name for himself directing music videos, um, including No Doubt Spiderwebs, um, Elton John's <laughs> Believe and Recover Your Soul, uh, Billy Joel's Lullaby, Goodnight My Angel, and my personal favorite, Spice Girls, Spice Up Your Life. <laughs> um, Nispel said, and he's a German originally, so I can kind of see a lot of that, like more, like kind of darker, like artistic um, eye, like in the film. Um, he said that he was initially against the idea of remaking uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, calling it blasphemy. Um, but he was talking to a longtime uh, director of photography friend of his, Daniel Pearl, who shot the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
And Pearl, however, encouraged Nispel to join the project as he wanted to bookend his career with chainsaw films. Uh, yeah, so Nispel initially wanted the fil- to film in California because he was more comfortable with the setup, but Bay insisted on filming, Michael Bay insisted on filming in Texas where the film had originally been shot. Um, Jessica Beale, <laughs> uh, 2000s, 90s, 2000s heartthrob, um, who had made a name for herself <laughs> with the TV show Seventh Heaven, was cast as the lead Aaron, and she was definitely the epitome of the early 2000s sweetheart. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about her um, in the episode. Um, the man who played Leatherface, uh, Andrew Baranowski, had starred in uh, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor, and he was actually, he had talked to Michael Bay about doing um, the role initially, because he's like, who doesn't want to play Leatherface, you know? But they had actually um, already casted someone, and they couldn't, like, physically take on the role, because apparently, you know, he has to run around with 35-pound chainsaws, and he has to wear all this prosthetic, and... And so the guy just, like, couldn't cut it. So um, Michael Bay approached um, Andrew to take on this role. Um, So fun fact, in order to bulk up for the role last minute, he ate a diet consisting only of brisket and white bread. Um, Hell yeah. (laughs) Right? That's Uh, Texas, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And I'm sure, like, us Americans can picture the white bread that he's eating. Um, Which got him (laughs) up to the 300 pounds or 136 kilos for our burgeoning international audience. Um, you're welcome. Uh, He still had to wear a fat suit, which got him up to another like 120 pounds. So a total of 420 pounds, which is 190 kilos. Uh, the weather in Texas was so hot and humid and he sweat so much during the filming that he had to make a point to drastically increase his fluid intake. And another really interesting fact I learned from a documentary was that the mask that they made from Eric Balfour's face, who he played Kemper, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, so the mask they made from his face was silicone, and, and it was especially difficult to wear with the heat, and it had a limited range of sight. So they mentioned in this documentary that the scene where Leatherface is like on top of the van, and he's wielding that 35-pound chainsaw, and he's got the mask on, you know, and then yeah. he had to jump off the van. He remembers that being um, a particularly difficult uh, scene to shoot see what else oh yeah so last thing is the texas chainsaw massacre franchise was inspired by the real life serial killer ed gain i'd be remiss to note if i didn't say this um it's also known as the butcher of plainfield um he's from wisconsin so ed Mm -hmm. gain um was a serial killer in the 1950s who technically only confessed to killing two women uh, Mary Hogan, a tavern owner, and Bernice Warden, a hardware store owner. Um, but he did exhume the bodies from local graves um, around him and use the corpses for his DIY projects, which is so hot right now. Um, <laughs> he fashioned a wastebasket from human skin, bowls made from human skulls, masks made from the skin of female heads, um, a belt made from human nipples, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, and much more. <laughs> like many serial killers, he had mommy issues. And the death of his controlling mother led to his downward spiral, resulting in the need to, quote, create a woman suit so that he could become his mother, to literally crawl into her skin, end quote. So we see a lot of that in Leatherface. Um, the crimes of Ed Gein were so horrific that they did inspire many horror films, including Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, and of course, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that's what I got. <laughs> God, Ed Gein. I, I've... So I'm only like I'm only like two hours away from Plainfield currently. I'm in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, I like I don't know. I like I've thought about going and just yeah like, pilgrimaging. 
checking it out but like i i don't know it's kind of weird like i went up to um i went up to milwaukee with a friend recent not recently but like maybe a year ago and he was like oh can we like go to like 25th and state <laughs> state street and i was like oh why are you trying to look at the uh jeffrey dahmer house and he yeah. was like e- yeah, never mind. I don't cool. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I totally like, would yeah. want to do that. But also, so um for fun fact for future, no, if you do decide to go, he's buried Ed Gein is buried in an unmarked grave, but he's buried with family. So he shouldn't be too hard to find. Okay, yeah. yeah. I don't That's, that I don't would be know. something I, like I would want to gonna... do. So <laughs> I also have another pointless fun fact. Um there's actually only two people shown um, who were killed by a chainsaw in the movie, which is a nod to the two people that he admitted to killing. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> oh, man. That's wild. Uh, yeah. that's, how, that's how many times I've seen this. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, let's that's... see. It was Morgan, right? Wasn't he killed with the chainsaw? And then who was the other one? I can't remember. Um, Morgan and then, well, on screen, I mean, Andy gets killed on screen. Does Pepper count? It must be Pepper, right? Because Pepper is like not in the scene. They just like show the yeah. feathers come up, the the down feathers that from was, her I jacket. Was real, I was real confused by that scene and we'll probably get into it because I was like, I had to look back at the end of the movie being like, wait, where'd Pepper go? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 it was implied. Yeah, yeah. I think originally, uh, I'm not sure if they shot a scene or not, but there was a scene where she got split in half with the chainsaw. Oh, yeah, man. And then they, I think they might have just caught it at the end. Um, yeah. Because it doesn't really it doesn't really explain. Exactly. And I remember like one thing in the documentary is that the director definitely wanted like more guts and more gore. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think they had to like tone him down a little, which is why the Morgan scene, like his death scene where he gets split up from the bottom was so important for the director because he was like guts, like I want more falling down. And, you know, so uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, that was pretty pretty effective for sure. So sweet. Awesome. Um, yeah, let's get into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The prologue begins with grainy black and white footage of police officers investigating the basement of a house. The narrator explains the investigation is in response to the death of five young adults, one of which was found in the Hewitt residence. This takes place in, oh, my, my one note for this is it takes place in Travis County, which is a place that I have lived uh, and I have found very lovely. Um, Amazing. <laughs> although going, so I lived in Austin, Texas, which right. is like the, it's considered like the oasis of Texas. It's very mm-hmm. like liberal. Right. Uh, you know, debatable, but like it's, it's very liberal. And every once in a while I'd go outside of Austin and it was like a little bit weird. And I'm not exactly sure if that was like because I grew up with this movie or if it was like, uh, bigotry i don't know i i, I don't know but <laughs> going outside of austin was always a, a little creepy but it's a beautiful place honestly so the first act i the name the name i have given the first act is going to a skinnerd concert oh my gosh <laughs> um the name i gave for the first act was well that blows <laughs> which is so pretty aaron do you have a name for the first act um, <laughs> we'll put you on the spot. No, not really. Okay, yeah, you put me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make you judge who's got the better. Yeah, right. In, there you go. Act name. Uh, so the I'm, di- I'm gonna have to go with no one. On that one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So the date is August 18th, 1973. Five college-aged-ish kids drive through Travis County on their way to a Skinner concert, Leonard Skinner, that is, uh, concert in Dallas, Texas. Our five friends are Aaron, played by Jessica Beale, her boyfriend, uh, Kemper, which I thought was funny because of Ed Kemper, but we'll oh, talk about yeah, that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Possibly. Uh, the next guy is single guy, Morgan. Uh, kind of nerdy, but, you know, pretty pretty logical. Uh, cool guy, Andy. This is just what I have in my notes. Yeah. Uh, he has blonde hair, wears a uh, like a pretty tight uh, tank top shirt. And then a hitchhiker that they had previously picked up named Pepper. In my opinion, they do a really lazy job at making them look like they're from the 70s. Yep. They kind of just look like they're Abercrombie models yeah. from, let's say, 2003. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I love just but... like the low cut jeans and Jessica Biel. And I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. The uh, the top that's like tied up under, that's tied up perfectly the whole time underneath her like, you know, bosom. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Balfour's facial hair too. And like the, yeah. the trucker cap. I don't yeah. know if that's a big thing in the 70s. But yeah. Whatever. And I kept having to Google like troll dolls. Like, okay, so those were invented in like the 50s. They made a resurgence in the 70s because they kept making a point to like show the troll doll on the dashboard. And he had one on his oh, key yeah. chain. Uh, and it was just like, okay, that's fine. I guess some things they tried to make, but it's like the people themselves, they like wanted them to be like the 2000s hard jobs. Right. The, uh, the 2000s were like notorious for being really bad with like period pieces of any yeah, kind, just like that's true. making it stylistically. Yeah. So on, on their way, they drive past a woman in distress. Against the group's wishes, Aaron insists that they give her a ride. The girl exhibits strange behavior, saying they're all dead and jumping at the wheel as they get closer to town. Eventually, she pulls a gun out of her butthole, her vagina, uh, and shoots herself. Or at least, yeah. (laughs) I'm assuming she was just sitting on it, but like... Yeah. Well, she had to have had it with her the whole time, though. And Aaron, jump in if you think you know where she was holding her (laughs) gun the whole time, but... One of those two places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a kid, I was like, she pulled a gun out of her vagina. That's yeah. how vaginas work. I don't know. Anyhow. Been a lot. Hey, you could pass a whole baby through that thing. So I'm sure you can hold a gun. Her kegel work is like on point. <laughs> She's like walking down the street with like a, with like a gun in her vagina the whole time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So as she shoots herself, the the group is panicked, obviously. The group pulls into a gas station to report an incident. The the woman running the store, who we will later find is named Mama, simply, she calls uh, the sheriff for them and tells them that they need to meet the sheriff at Old Crawford Mill. Um, This is a abandoned mill on the edge of town, you know, presumably. The gang notes this is pretty odd, but they agree to go anyhow. Uh, and actually, that's that's it for the first act. We're comfortably into the second act of the film, oh, no. which I didn't work too hard at this name. It's uh, this place is real friggin' creepy. Yeah. Did we get to the? Are we gonna get? Because I I like the idea of having it be like a sheriff like quote because he's so good. So I just want to be like, I smell bullshit. <laughs> just be like one of his like more iconic quotes. <laughs> Oh, I love him so much. I'm going to say that one wins. Yeah, that one's, I, I just love the great. sheriff <laughs> yeah, so much too. in this movie. So the gang drives to the mill. It's rusted over and abandoned. There are dolls taped to trees, like normal abandoned mills. Uh, this seems suspicious as fuck. Uh, Morgan makes the note of this, and he wants to just drop the body off and leave, 
which I think is astute. Aaron, however, is adamant that they uh, that they wait for the sheriff. After hearing some creepy sounds, Aaron decides to explore the interior of the mill, which, why? The group follows suit. Uh, they meet a little creepy boy named Jedediah, who's clearly weird, but very sweet. Uh, Jedediah states the sheriff is at home getting drunk, and the house is just a short walk away. Actually, there are some scenes later on that show a road going right up to the, uh, yeah. right up to the house. Yeah. So him being like, oh yeah, road don't go there. I think it does, though. And, and they also do a lot of, like, walking through a forest, like, even, which is maybe they're trying to get away from him by, like, walking through the forest, but I don't know. They do a lot right. of, like, meandering through the forest for the road, like, leading right up to the house, you know? It's yeah, beautiful. I tr- they're beautiful scenes. You know, but like still. Yeah. Did any of you guys pick up on who the kid is supposed to be? No. So if I were, if I were to ask you that question, who who would you think that he is, or oh, what's his purpose? He's uh Michael Jordan from Space Jam. I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you like to make Space Jam references. I'm totally. Dude, here I for fucking those. love Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm really here for this. We need to do like a weird spinoff where we try to make Space Jam a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's really interesting. I, I, I don't know. I think when you get into Leatherface, and are we talking like who is he supposed to be as like who is he supposed to be in the movie, or is he who is he supposed to be like in the real world, like outside of the movie? No. Well, well, when when that kid shows up at the at the mill, uh-huh. um, like they don't really explain. Did any of you guys pick up on like? what his purpose was. Oh, the kid? Yes, I noticed it later because the mom is yelling at him through, or I guess it's his grandma, is yelling at him through the house because the kid is, like, Mm -hmm. actually a good person and, like, doesn't like the things that his family does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so he is, like, an outcast because he doesn't want to go along with, like, the family business of murdering people. Yeah, and and it's funny, right, because apparently he had an entire backstory. He was related to the hitchhiker they pick up at the start. He was part of that family, apparently. Oh. And some of them had been kept in captivity. Yeah, but then, you see, it, none of this makes sense either, though, because if you look at it timeline-wise, then how did he become like that in the space of, even if it was a couple of weeks? Right. Yeah. So then I, I had I had seen an interview years ago, um, and I think it was with Michael Bay, and he spoke about it, and he said that, then they had initially said that he was um he was I, i'm not sure if it was like somebody pregnant that they had kidnapped mm-hmm. or whatever and then the child had been born and they just kind of raised it so he he's kind of good but doesn't realize that that's not his real family oh interesting okay. wow yeah, but they don't really, like, he just shows up and they don't really explain anything about it. There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, there's, like, the other baby where you're like, okay, yeah. so is that the woman who shoots herself in the car, like, her legs are bloody? So you're like, okay, did she give mm-hmm. birth and to this child who now mm-hmm. actually isn't a newborn? Who You know, but, like, how long has she been in the house? And, like, was she kept alive because... She had a baby and yeah, the family yeah. wanted the baby and you're, you know, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. Timeline speaking. Wow. It's confusing. Oh, trust me. Like Aaron, you're going to, you're going to have fun because I overthink way too much and everything. So <laughs> we're going to have a good and time. Both, <laughs> and both of y'all are just going to blow my yeah, mind because exactly. I'm, I'm pretty like surface level, yeah. <laughs> like enjoy things. <laughs> oh so, man. So. 
Aaron and Kemper make their journey uh, to the house while Andy, Morgan, and Pepper wait at the van. A man in a wheelchair known as Old Monty is at the house. He answers the door. He says the sheriff doesn't live there, but Aaron can make a call. Kemper, however, is forced to stay outside. After a call, Aaron is prompted further into the house by Old Monty. Kemper gets impatient and enters the house to find Aaron. Uh, he snips, snoops around for a bit before being caught and killed by Leatherface. And this is our first shot of Leatherface. I also want to make a quick note that Aaron had no problem with Old Monty just squeezing her butt and oh, stuff. Yeah. Like, there was... <laughs> No mention of that. He's just like going ham yeah. at, at at her ham. <laughs> at her hands. Yeah, and it also was like, all right, as soon as like he was on the number one, like why did he? Ew. It was all set up for sure. I know that, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. ugh, he was like emptying his catheter, and she just was like touching him, and I'm like, all right, I'm. I don't know. <laughs> This is too much. Yeah, I wouldn't. There were a lot of times in this movie. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Like, there were a lot of times where I would have peaced out. Like, I may have been a bad person, but I would just been like, cool, see you later. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was interesting because there were a lot of moments where Leatherface killing someone wasn't the cringiest part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Just for me, I'm like, oh, catheters. Like, I guess I couldn't be a nurse, but like, you know, it's just <laughs> one of those things where it's like, oh, okay. And I just loved. Yeah. I just I love that first scene of Leatherface coming in and killing. And you're like, oh my god, how does how is Kemper like the first victim? You know, he right. is the epitome of the hero. You know, and he's the one who's supposed to protect everyone. So I was like, hell yeah! Like right off the bat, like let's kill that guy. You know, <laughs> so it was exciting for me. <laughs> While this is happening, the sheriff has already arrived at the mill. Uh, He takes the gun, which fits oddly perfectly in his ankle holster, then recruits Andy and Morgan to help him wrap and move the body. He's gross. Uh, He does some gross stuff, but... Arlie Ermey, as as an actor, is a top-notch choice for this role. Chef's kiss. So good. Chef's... Oh, man. Yeah, and and considering the fact that 90% of that scene is all ad-libbed. Yeah, really? I saw that in one yeah. of the docs. It was that's so good. That's so good to hear. God, yeah, he's so good in, in anything yeah. he does. I mean, all of those lines are classic, and that really just makes the movie very like enjoyable to watch. I think like seeing him and all of his mm-hmm. like amazing one-liners. Yeah, <laughs> he was my favorite. Yeah, he used to kind of freak me out more than Letterface. Yeah. Oh, no. for real? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, to be honest, I. I totally understand because it's that idea of more of like the banal, like, you know, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. horror character rather than the physicality of killing someone. He is the psychological horror, you know? And I think that right. a lot of the times can be a lot creepier and a lot scarier than someone who's just going to come at you with a chainsaw. He's the torture, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't know if this is a dumb statement, but like you're supposed to, I mean, at least as a kid, like watching this movie, like you're supposed to trust cops and stuff. I don't know what it's like in, in Ireland per se, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't trust them. <laughs> I mean, now watching this movie in the two, in like the 2020s, I'm just like, fuck the police. But you yeah. know, like <laughs> you know, 2003, I would have been like, oh, sheriff, yay, they're rescued. And they're like, oh God, no, he's family, you know? <laughs> so back at the house, Aaron briefly searches for Kemper. Old Monty kind of brushes it off, saying he's not in my house. And uh, she makes her way back to the van. Uh, when she's there, she discovers the sheriff has already taken the body away, then goes to uh, look for Kemper, uh, but to no avail. They only find a set of teeth um, in in braces just on the ground. And then they also find a piss-filled jar 
with a picture of the lady that they picked up earlier. And on the other side, there was a picture of a family, as we've kind of briefly touched on. I thought, why is it in a jar? And So that was a nod to, um, have you guys ever heard of a director called Larry Clark? No. No. Um, he done a movie... Uh, it's name of it, Kids, I think. It came out in 1994 or 5. Oh, okay. He had um, put together a book and it was um, it was looking at the life of, uh, I want to say like um, like teenagers who were addicted to drugs and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, called Tulsa. And if you look up the images on Google, anybody who's listening to this, just Google um, Larry Clark book. Yeah. Uh, that's what a lot of the imagery um, and a lot of the promo stuff for the movie was Polaroids and all these weird, creepy photos. Wow. It was all inspired wow. by his work. Um, that book is <laughs> un- unsettling. Oh. Man. Yeah, it's like super graphic. A lot of nudity, um, people injecting. Yeah. Uh, Man, yeah. So apparently that that's, doesn't really explain why the, the thing is in a jar. Right. That's apparently the basis behind yeah. this. I, I'm so glad you had an answer to that. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but that's the answer apparently. And I love how Noah, like, I was I was not thinking it was Pissfeld. I was the optimist, and I was like, oh, it's a pickle jar. <laughs> 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 it, just, yeah. it just looked like watery pee to me, so I, know. I just said it. <laughs> the gang, again, wants to leave. The gang, like it's Scooby-Doo. It is. You've got you've got your Daphne, Velma, yeah. Scooby is Morgan, yeah. and then you have Shaggy and uh, and Velma. Uh, and they're like running but... in and out of rooms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. It oh, it oddly syncs up. And he's got a mask on. And he's got a mask on. The bad guy. They don't unveil him though. I but know they don't. He unveils himself. The gang wants to leave, but Aaron insists again that they stay and wait for Kemper. Their big plan is to make it back to the house. Uh, while Aaron distracts old Monty, Andy sneaks inside. Um, he kind of searches. He looks in the fridge for Kemper. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you putzing around, bro? You got stuff to do. Just as soon as you walk into that, that like, kitchen and you see all of yeah. the, like, hanging flesh and, you know, mm. like, maybe there's some meat in there. But it's like, get the fuck out of there. Like what the hell? Like you know, right. pigs, pigs in the in the room, like in the house. Like that's not like okay. They do that in Portland all the time. I live in Portland, by the sure. way, Portland, Oregon. But it's one of those <laughs> things where it's like you see like hanging flesh and like get get out. Just don't, just go away. Like why do people do right. that? Yeah, no, I, I, again, this is another point where I'd be like, okay, goodbye, see ya. sorry friends. Yeah, yeah like I had Jack, friends please. at one point. <laughs> After a quick search, Andy knocks a box off the fridge and it's uh, and is caught instantly by old Monty, who promptly he's in in a in a way calls for Leatherface. He like knocks his cane on the floor a bunch of times and says, "Bring it, bring it." Leatherface swings open the door and chases the two uh, with the titular chainsaw. Aaron and Andy narrowly escape the house, but as they run away, Leatherface catches Andy, cutting his leg clean off, and uh, he carries then Andy into the basement. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and and skip to the Andy part just so I'm not, like, cutting back and forth. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll come back to Aaron and and whatnot in a sec. But uh, we get a quick look at Andy, who's 
been put on a butcher's hook in the basement while Leatherface salts and wraps his leg stump like yeah. a like a I thing love a good roll of butcher paper, you know? <laughs> it's very yeah, multifaceted. Right? It looked very um very artisan. He's like artisanal, like Jacobson sea salt, you know? From Yeah, like something you'd find in uh in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> While while that's happening, Erin makes it back to the van. She tries to start the vehicle very haphazardly. She's very, very much flooding the engine. Just then, the sheriff reemerges. Erin tries to explain sort of uh, what happened, but the sheriff finds a doobie in the car and forces the three out, saying that he smells bullshit. The sheriff puts everybody down face first in the ground. He takes Morgan back to the van makes him reenact the suicide of the girl earlier, saying he doesn't believe them. He even gives Morgan his gun, ordering him to put it in his mouth and pull the trigger. Morgan turns the gun and sh- on the sheriff and shoots uh, or clicks the, uh, clicks the trigger, uh, but there are no bullets. The sheriff then forces him into the cop car and drives him back to the house uh, where he kicks the shit out of him and drags him inside. At, back at the mill, Aaron and Pepper have successfully hotwired the vehicle. However, they don't get too far, as the wheels quickly fall off. You goofballs. <laughs> Leatherface reemerges, uh, attacks the ladies from the roof. Uh, Pepper manages to run away, but is immediately caught and killed. And that's kind of what we were talking about mm-hmm. uh, before, is that, um, yeah, I think she falls down or, or whatever, and then it's just uh, down feathers from her, right. from her coat, which... I thought it was funny. And it's interesting because, like, the wheels falling off is not really something that's very explanatory. Like, someone, because what's his face? Um, Andy is shown with that tire, that thing that can unloose the lug nut. Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, in a tire. <laughs> I've never changed a fucking tire in my life. Um, so, he, because I, so, like, someone presumably, like, went to the car and, like, unloosened all of the tires. Or loosened all the tires. Is that, like, the idea? Because... The tires don't just, like, fall off. Like, someone had to do that. There's a lot of, like, timeline issues. Like, okay, so one thing, I ha- a problem I have with this movie is that being a seamstress myself, <laughs> we see Leatherface murdering Kemper, going to, like, getting Andy, bringing him into the house, and then he, like, goes and you see a, a quick shot of him, like, sewing Kemper's face, you know? Like, <laughs> the, like, mask of his face. It takes a lot more to, like you know, cut out the face and, like, pattern it and, like, go and, like, sew up his face. I don't know. There's just a lot of, like, timeline. I just don't know how much time is actually passing in this movie. Because, like, and it's a movie, yes, so I guess they have artistic liberties. But I just thought that was funny. That he, like, already has a face mask, like, ready of Kemper as he goes to, like, scare the women. It's very effective. It's amazing. It's a great scene. And I love when he, like, shows up in the car lights film and, like, his face. And you can really see it. Yeah, it's terrifying. Ooh, so good. (laughs) But. Yeah, I I think the thing with the the wheels falling off might have been an afterthought because I think that scene was supposed to be focused around Pepper being killed with the chainsaw. Got it. Mm. So when they cut that, then I think they just recut. Oh, uh, the wheels fell off. Yeah, like that's how they weren't <laughs> able to like physically get there because she is able to successfully yeah. hotwire the car. Yeah, because she was in juvie. Yeah, that's a whole other thing we learned about her. The scene with him. Um, Stitching the mask, I think, is the first time ever that you actually see um, Leatherface's real face. Right. That was a scene that was cut from the 1990 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. Yeah. What was so the 1990 point? Can you explain it for me who doesn't know anything about horror movies? 
Uh, it was, oh God, I can't remember what the title was. Was it the, no, it's not the next generation. Um, was it like a re, is it like a continuation of? No, yeah, it's like this really weird, bizarre, mm. uh, it's nearly gone to the point where it's like Letterface in space. Um, <laughs> it has a beautiful ring to it. Yeah, but they had a scene in there they were going to show um, Letterface's face and it was cut from the movie, something to do with the rating. Um, oh, but then again, like I think they just shoehorned it into this movie because, well, what else are we going to do? Just put that in. Well, and also it comes up later too, you know. And I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who are like, oh, how do I sympathize with? Like, I, I almost like want to sympathize with the killer because <laughs> I'm just that kind of person, I guess. And it's, it's one of those things where you, when you go into that, it, and it's a quick scene where the girl who's in the trailer in, obviously we'll get to this but like when she's saying you know that poor boy they always made fun of him you know and but you know when you actually see his face you kind of see you know his anguish a little bit while he's kind of struggling okay yes he is struggling to take off one skin mask and put another one on but it's you see kind of his anguish and like what he's doing you know so you kind of feel a little bad for him i guess yeah yeah and like there was a there was an uh, a backstory created for him i don't know like if it's in any of the timelines but um it was i think revolved around his dad um locking him in a, a horse box for years oh because he was disfigured and like beating him up yeah. and stuff and then when his dad died um the mother let him out and tried to like kind of treat him like a baby even though he was grown up right so huh. this is why he's kind of like a little bit mentally challenged in as well that's like where Ed Gein comes in. Ed mm -hmm. Kemper is also a good example of that. You know, it's that idea of the psychological kind of anguish and just kind of the stunted psychological growth of, of serial killers in a way where they're, for some reason or another, have some kind of, you know, almost most of all of them have a terrible relationship with their mothers, you know, and it's <laughs> kind of, or like they're abused by their fathers or abused by their mothers psychologically or they're coddled by their mothers psychologically, which kind of can in some ways like lead to abuse. And so it causes a lot of these, you know, kind of distorted ideas of what a human, another human is, or like what relationships with humans are, or what the a relationship with a woman is, you know? And it's interesting because, yes, he does kill Pepper, and we, you know, we don't really see him utilizing her body as much, because like Ed Gein was known for, was known for like kind of mutilating women's bodies and like, you know, wearing women's bodies, but Leatherface, he wears men's masks. I don't know. I'm reading a lot into this. But like, well, you know. Apparently him wearing Kemper's face is supposed to be um, a nod to him trying to fit in with that group. Oh. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I totally get that. Yeah. And that comes up in just like a, like a few scenes later when they're like, you like, you're the type to ridicule my son. So like, okay. Which I wasn't like, I'm like, why, why are you bringing that up? I don't think they ridiculed him. Mm. They're just, he's killing people. <laughs> like, they're just scared of him. Yeah. But it's all about an archetype. It's all about, because, and that's, that's like serial killers. They'll have a type. Right. You know, it's the woman that, you know, dissed him in high school. You know, it's, it's sure. especially for, you know, for a lot of the serial killers who had a specific type of woman that they would murder. You know, it's that woman that scorned them, that rejected them whether it's their mother or whether it's their first love or something. And so that I think is a lot of what Leatherface is doing is he, this, these are the people who made fun of him because he had, you know, tumors, which caused the erosion in his face. Mm. And that's, you know, I think is important. Huh. I'm not going to contribute to this very intelligent conversation. <laughs> I'm just going to say the, the Kemper mask was really funny to me. 
Yeah, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> but he's got such a distinctive face that I'm so glad they were able to capture that in a match. Like they, you know? they clearly couldn't get it like fully over his head, so like you see, like it kind of like bow bow yeah. out like at the neck, yeah. and I was like, that's actually kind of kind of funny. <laughs> but, yeah, but I I get what you're saying. Um, anyhow, thanks, Noah. <laughs> Aaron escapes through the woods, making it to a trailer occupied by two women and a baby. As Aaron panics, they give her tea. She drinks a little bit, but eventually refuses the rest. Uh, And they explain that they don't have a phone. Specifically that they don't have a phone. Uh, The two assure that Leatherface is a sweet boy with a strange skin condition, as, as we've touched upon. Just then, the phone, which they supposedly didn't have, rings. Uh, Aaron identifies the baby as the one from the picture uh, that they had found earlier. Screams that that's not your baby, and then falls to the ground unconscious. We are now at the third act. Um, Caitlin, what's yours? Mine's really bad. Oh no, I don't know. I don't, I don't have one. Hold on, you say one, and then I'll. I just one. said I said the escape. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty lame. Um, I don't know. I think like Leatherface's like treasure house of horrors or something, because he has all of those like amazing you know keepsakes you, you know like ed gein has i sure. love i love the scenes because i think the director does a really good job in this movie of really taking the time to like show the sets and like pan over you know the different sets especially when they're outside he really wanted this like artistic kind of like effect and kind of moody effect sure um so yeah i don't know i had i didn't have a, i didn't have a good one but or like poor sweet boy would be a good one because that's, that's like, a, really creepy and that's a good yeah. one um yeah yeah i'm really bad at third act ones just to cut back on on that scene in the trailer um the i think it's the smaller lady there was um i can't remember the name i think it's angela yates uh, she was a lady who basically was like, I, I don't know, suffered from like severe depression and stuff. She had five kids, but she drowned them all. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I yeah. know you're talking and, about. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that those characters are like loosely based on people like her. Uh-huh. A lot of the wow. characters, I think, a lot of the villains in the family are actually loosely based on like real life killers or whatever uh, for that reason, because they're trying to play it as a, based on a true story so they yeah. all kind of have a little tie back to somebody they have to like make the like ultimate horrible horror family mm. <laughs> <laughs> like taking from like an a la carte menu of this really shitty serial killer <laughs> yeah. man Yikes. we gotta have aaron on more he's he's a wealth of yeah. you're, you're a wealth of knowledge o- only on these like really bizarre <laughs> that like nobody else likes but me fair enough yeah that's great <laughs> So, the third act, uh, Aaron wakes up at the house in the living room with old Monty, the sheriff, and the lady from the gas station, again, known as Mama. Uh, They call Leatherface in after accusing her of being the type to ridicule Leatherface. They call Leatherface in, and he carries Aaron to the basement and locks her in. Aaron peruses the horrors of Leatherface's workshop before discovering Andy, who is still alive and very much awake. I feel like shock should have kicked in at some point for this guy. Yeah. And he should have, like... Uh, he's, like, lucid. Uh, Andy tells her to kill him with the nearby knife. Uh, after a very tearful goodbye, she stabs him literally just one time, and he just goes limp and dies. We, we, yeah, I mean, like, it's... 
brevity. I mean, it was a bit of a mercy killing, I feel like. It's like someone put him out of his misery. You know? Sure. Would that actually happen like that? I don't think so. That that's what that's what I'm wondering is like, would you just die like that? He also like went up and down like once already, like on the hook, because he tried to pull himself up and he wasn't successful in that thing. So he already like exacerbated that wound. And then Aaron tried to pull him up again and that didn't work. And then what happens? He stabbed she stabbed him. I wasn't paying attention. She, sorry. <laughs> she just stabs him in the <laughs> stomach and he like yeah. immediately goes limp and, and dies. Um, oh, yeah. There might have been some time lapse there, but. I, I, yeah. I won't be too too critical about it, but yeah, anyhow. Uh, she walks further down into the basement and finds Morgan in a bathtub. After... Ugh, John Lennon, am I right? I don't, <laughs> I don't get on. that reference. <laughs> he looks like John Lennon. Oh, He has the, shirt, the New York yeah, City does. shirt on with the glasses. <laughs> Thank you. See, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I called him John Lennon the whole time until I knew what his name was. I also really like that actor. He's in the TV show Kingdom. Kingdom, which is on such a good US show. US Netflix, such a good show. Thank you so much. Um, I love that show. Uh, yeah, and he apparently has, I, in like a documentary, what is his name, Jonathan Tucker, I think. He mm-hmm. was in a... Um, He's like a child actor. He'd been apparently acting for forever. And I only found out about him until um, I watched, like someone recommended Kingdom, which is so good. Me too. Yeah. And then I didn't realize that he was even in Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. I like playing that game though, where you're like, where have I seen this person before? I'm really good at that game. I don't like that with horror movies. I want everybody to be completely like a new face to me. And he was for me. Yeah. Um, Jessica Biel even, even doesn't really register as like a star to me at that point so like right yeah uh fun fact about jessica beale that i haven't mentioned yet i saw them once because she's married to justin timberlake right i saw them once in a restaurant in new york city i was out with my friend and it's this really famous like brunch place called cafe Gatin. and my friend and i were sitting at the bar and in walks like swoops in justin timberlake and jessica beale this was like i don't know six years ago or something, something crazy like that, seven years ago. And they just sit and like, you know, it's no big deal. And of course it's New York. So like no one gives a fuck like who's sitting next to you, but it was just one of those cool experiences. And you know, I don't know. They're just as beautiful in real life as they are in, in the movies. Huh. I just had to say that. <laughs> That's my fun fact about Jessica Biel. Crazy. <laughs> uh, so she walks further down to find Morgan in a bathtub. She pulls him out and the two attempt to escape while Leatherface nips at their heels. The two are met by Jedediah who shows up and shows them the way out. And after successfully escaping the house, Aaron and Morgan run to a nearby cabin. After barricading the door, the two hide in a rat-filled crawl space. All is quiet for a moment before Leatherface breaks through the wall, grabbing Aaron and pulling her through. Anyone else get the rats ratted her out? Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Boo. Because they started making noise, and that's why I found her. Boo. <laughs> oh, I'm keeping it in, but yeah, I know it's cringy. Keep in my booze, too. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Just as Aaron is about to be killed, Morgan uh, steps up to the plate. Leatherface oh, directs his attention to Morgan, hanging him from the chandelier and splitting him down the middle uh, with his chainsaw. Is that accurate? It's a little dark. Splitting him up the middle? Right. Because he starts from the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> Oh god, that's hilarious. I, I think um, the, that scene was supposed to involve like all his guts and everything flying all over the floor, and then have Leatherface kick them out of the way when he runs out after. Amazing. 
Yeah, uh, and I think he was supposed to, when the kid helps them escape just before that as well, I think originally he was supposed to chop his head off. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, sad. I'm glad they kept well. saying... Yeah, I'm glad they saved that. Because I feel like that poor kid, like, he's... Yeah, I was worried because he's like, okay, I, I don't know. And I also thought that there was a little bit more of, like, a... I don't know, maybe, like, a two sides to him. I was worried that he was, like, helping them, mm-hmm. but he was going to, like, lead them to their demise, mm-hmm. which, you know, yeah. I know why he does, but it's not his fault. <laughs> um, also, good job for Jessica Biel to not play the hero with Morgan. And as soon as... And I think, like... Noah, you can appreciate this. As soon as Morgan is like hung up and strung up, he th- she just leaves and she escapes. You know, yeah. it's like good for her for like not trying to save him because that's how she like survives. You know. Oh yeah. I'm like good for you for not being a hero. Like you ran away. It was the right thing to do because if you had tried to save Morgan, like you wouldn't have. Yeah, you tried. You did your best. It didn't work. That's sad, but whatever. Move on. To, to use a bat, to use a basketball term, Aaron picks and rolls throughout this entire movie, and by that I mean someone sets up a pick, someone gets killed in lieu of her getting killed, and she escapes right. the entire yeah. movie. But we'll get, yeah, you're right. We'll get into it. Shit. We'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> next line: Aaron once again escapes after a quick yeah. chase. <laughs> Leatherface falls, cutting his own leg open, literally falling on his own sword, uh, to borrow a term. After failing to flag down a car, Aaron runs to a meat processing plant, where she ironically climbs into the slaughterhouse. Uh, Never go into a building you don't know. You're going to get lost and then ultimately killed. In real life. That's like the fourth rule, right? I mean, that's like the fourth rule of murder murder movies. I don't know if there's actually like a definitive list, but, and maybe Aaron, you can talk about this better, but like, that's a rule. Like, don't go in. And especially the cabin too. Like, really the cabin? Come on. Yeah. Um, we should, yeah, maybe, maybe we should at some point make a mini episode of us just explaining the, <laughs> our horror movie rules. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I've come up with different numbers every single time I've done it. <laughs> Rule number great. 72. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So she fails to fl- flag down the car. Uh, she runs to the meat processing plant, hops in uh, through the slaughter portion of it. Um, Aaron dodges le- Leatherface a few more times through the, through the freezer uh, before finding a meat cleaver and hiding in a locker. As Leatherface passes, seemingly is about to like leave Aaron starts banging on the door of the, of the locker and yelling for him. She has a plan, but the chances of this plan working, uh, in all honesty are, are pretty small. Leatherface, Leatherface follows the noise opening an adjacent locker to Aaron's. Just then Aaron pops out and cleaves his arm clean off. Uh, yeah. she like hacks at it a bit, but Leather, yeah. Leather, as she runs away, Leatherface falls to the ground. But like, how are you gonna chainsaw without any arms, bitch? Right. You he know? tries. He's he tries. He gives he tries. gives a good effort. Yeah. Uh, she success she successfully waves down a trucker uh, for a ride. Uh, after bringing her back towards the town, Aaron begins to exhibit some of the similar behavior that we noticed in the girl that they picked up at the beginning of the movie. Uh, she has very limited communication. She tries to grab the steering wheel as they enter the town. Just use your words. I don't want to stop here. And, I mean, it's probably different when you're in shock and you've you've been through yeah. this traumatic thing. But like in my head, I'm like, just be like, don't stop here. 
The driver doesn't want any more of Aaron's crap as she grabs the wheel. He's kind of done with her. He parks the car in town and knocks on a nearby door where the sheriff, mama, and the lady with her baby happen to be. While the trucker is explaining the situation to the group out front, Aaron dashes out of the truck and around the building. She grabs the baby and runs to the sheriff's car. There's actually really good, I think it's really good camera work where we all assume that she's in the truck and they, they even have like yeah. camera shots from the truck as the sheriff is coming around to like check it out. Uh, she successfully hot wires the sheriff's car and runs the sheriff over multiple times as he walks out and into the street. As she escapes, Leatherface appears one last time for the recreation of that final shot from the original film. Couple notes here. I mean, I don't know if they were going for like the same effect as they were in the first movie. Uh, and Caitlin, I'm not sure if you've seen the, the first Texas Chainsaw no. Massacre, but it's so iconic. He's just like, as the final girl is driving away, he's like just shaking his like chainsaw and spinning in this like really kind of beautiful way um that this one just didn't do as much justice but it was, it was still cool to see him that one last time um another note that baby should a not be in the front seat not be so high up that baby's gonna go right through that that front windshield um there's definitely no seat belts in that car no, number one yeah <laughs> number two uh, the baby is, like, not crying or anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yikes. There's a couple of different uh, versions of that ending as well. Really? Um, one of them was, uh, I think the original opening and the end scene was going to, it was, like, a fast forward to Erin when she was older. And she's been living mm-hmm. in an insane asylum and she's been interviewed by the FBI and she, she keeps telling them you didn't catch him, it's not him, it's not him. And then they show her um, uh, autopsy photographs and she keeps telling them, she's like, I cut his arm off, that guy has two arms. Wow. Oh. And then it just, like, cuts to, it just cuts to black and it just leaves it and it doesn't explain like what, and that was the setup I think for a sequel. Oh, right. Gotcha. Right. And then there was another ending, I think, uh, there was this entire storyline where she was apparently supposed to be pregnant. Huh. And there's, I think there's actually a part, I think it was left in the movie, where she says something about... She's why nauseous. Do you think, yeah, and why didn't you, why do you think I didn't drink or something, or I'm not yeah. smoking, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they left that in, which is bizarre. Yeah, right. I saw that in my research, and it's interesting because I think they had set her up for being, like, pregnant at the end. And it's interesting, I did notice that because, and I probably wouldn't have even caught it if I hadn't seen it in like some kind of Wikipedia article or something, or like some kind of documentary. And it was, it was interesting to like notice that she was like, you know, pull over, I'm nauseous. Or, she, you know, she did that, like, oh, I don't feel very well. And then she didn't, yeah, eat and drink and, or, you know, she didn't like party when they were in Mexico. Yeah, because she, I um, think she was supposed to um, escape the, the meat factory. And then when she was hiding, she was going to give, Bart outside and then he would hear the cries of the baby and then come uh, and and then it would just cut to black and that was but I don't like think it tested place. very well yeah I don't think it tested very well so they just ah. they just right. yeah well it's weird though that they had to like have a baby in it you know yeah I yeah. don't know the baby doesn't really make sense and I even me. think I'm not sure but in the sequel to this which is actually a prequel I think there's a scene something similar to that where somebody in the movie has a kid and they take it or kill it or something. 
Yeah. I vaguely remember it's, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where I love how like horror movie franchises can just kind of like bebop around <laughs> like, whatever. whatever they want yeah. to. I think I think it gives it's like soap operas. Yeah. I mean I think the 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 way they did it is the is the right way out of out of the um endings that Aaron yeah. mentioned yeah. was the right way to go. And I think yeah. I think the baby like added like a cool like she has she has to go back into town. I mean, she wasn't originally, but like when the trucker stopped in town, right. she sought the opportunity to like go save the baby as well. But, right, right, right. Yeah, there definitely are some consistencies at the end, which we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear that because I, I, this movie's so fun for me. Um, but speaking of which, uh, we are at the epilogue. Uh, as the movie closes, we brought back. We were brought back to the footage of the policemen investigating the basement. As they see search deeper down, they are accosted and killed by Leatherface, leaving a final haunting image of him on the film that they were filming with. Um, film equipment that they were filming with. Yep. Anyhow, uh, and that that is that is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake 2003. Who wants to go? <laughs> who wants to go first How- um i have some thoughts about the end and i don't know if i want to like go through all of my thoughts about the movie right now like i think we can kind of go like you know back and forth sure but the ending for me is kind of confusing the epilogue because all right let's lay it out <laughs> and did they do that and, and did they do that let me get my notes um did they do this in the original where it's like they go back to footage of nah i don't think them so. walking through the crime scene no okay so in the epilogue, they say that they didn't secure the crime scene properly. So Leatherface killed the two police officers or something who were investigating, right? Yeah. That, that's like what they say. Mm-hmm. So then uh, my question is, did Leatherface then just like run away? And so then they were able to go back in and collect all of the evidence? Or did they like collect all of this evidence? Like what happened to the rest of the family? Did they collect all this evidence and then the last point of it was him attacking the two police officers? I don't know. It was all kind of confusing. Because he had two arms at that point, too, I think. And all, and also they had a whole slew of boxes and boxes and boxes of evidence. So, like, if he had just killed the police officers and, like, that was that, like, how did they collect all that evidence if Leatherface was, like, still in the house? I don't know. I was a little confused <laughs> by the ending. Does he just run away? Is that the idea that he like runs off through a tunnel somewhere and he will we haven't found him yet? <laughs> and then the police went back into the house and then they were able to like collect the boxes of evidence and like all the film reel and the bodies of the two police officers. No one knows. Okay, that's good. Yeah, no, you, you, you've I'm stumped on that one. I I, I do think okay, it good. suffered massively from. Yeah. Um. Because the, I I think on the on the Blu-ray there's, uh, tr- three different uh commentary tracks with the production team, the story team, and the design team. Amazing. And everybody seems to have a completely different. It's like you're watching three different movies. <laughs> uh. Yeah. And like a couple of times they kind of I don't know if they record that all together in the same room. Right. Because the same, the same uh two different people are talking and it's completely different for the same scene so you've got like michael bay is saying x y and z about the scene at the end in blair meets 
And then the director is saying something completely different about his vision. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, so good. It's not just me. Like <laughs> yeah. It's even the people who made the movie are confused as to how the movie yeah. ends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. There were some inconsistencies in which, like, that was effective in the fact that it was like, ooh, creepy Leatherface. But then I'm like, how did you find this? footage if like Leatherface kills these detectives and they've collected all this evidence I don't know it's still and I can't like you can't just like keep talking and saying the same things and expecting an answer but like, <laughs> like I wish they would have included a scene in which maybe the police were like you know you pan away from a screen and the police are watching it and they're like yeah this guy is still on the loose you know or like two like beat detectives are like yeah, we need to catch this guy. I don't know. It's just weird. Because they do all that stuff in the beginning where they're like, that we found, we have boxes and boxes of evidence and like five bodies and, you know, like all those things. Mm. Where, you know, you're like, okay, I need a little bit of like more follow-up. And I don't know. Did they make a sequel off of this remake? Maybe? No? They made, yeah. they made a prequel. I know that, um, as Aaron was saying before. Uh, right. But, yeah, I don't... I don't I actually I, I don't know because there are more movies and there's even a movie coming out uh, supposedly next year. Um, I don't know if it links right. up with this with this timeline or anything like that. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. So that was my biggest concern with the end was that it did, didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> my overall feelings about the film were that I thought it was cinematically I thought it was really beautiful um I thought a lot of the shots the cinematography was really gorgeous um and they just like the director's kind of aesthetic with the muted color tones you know and showing a lot of the forest and I don't know I just thought that was really pretty and I even like the shots where they were like panning through all the body parts and stuff I was like oh that's really nice and very artistic <laughs> even though it was gruesome um and I I thought the scenes where Leatherface like pops up and like grabbed her you know, like wraps his arm around her. I'm like, oh, that was so good. And, you know, there's just some iconic moments, you know, where you're like, oh, that's so great. You know, right. it was really, I thought it was overall, it was, it was a good movie. There's definitely a lot of like, this is a 2000s movie trying to, you know, be set in the 1970s. And I'm like, oh, that's really problematic. So I think, um, yeah. yeah, I think that, those are my like initial thoughts about the movie overall. Aaron, what about you? Well, just to, just to uh, continue on from the fact that it, apparently when when all the the different teams got together to make this they were adamant that they wanted it set in the 70s and sure. they didn't want to set it in modern day or change the timeline or anything which is really bizarre considering because i just feel like it doesn't translate very well um like you guys said at the start the cast just don't fit into i, I don't know what it is but i just can't i can't believe it's the 70s <laughs> yeah at all um which and it was such a focal point like if you listen to anybody who worked on a movie talk about it like this was like a, a one of the high points was this needs to be you know it's it's the 70s it needs to feel exactly like the original and i i just don't get that at all yeah yeah originally when i when i saw it as like a 13 year old i like did i i must have missed when it when it said the date like was in the 70s and i was just like oh this is present day <laughs> cuz there's nothing like really yeah. that indicates that it's the 70s other than the fact that they tell you it's from the 70s right and i think it's like they're tra- the van they tried to make the van seem very like yeah. 1970s with the mad poster like mad magazine and like the mad poster i think that they mentioned that they had on the roof of the car like the inside roof of the car 
But still, like, there's so many towns in, like, small town America that are, like, stuck in time. That still you know, look like that. Could, that still look like that, even to this day. Yeah. So, like, you could walk into any, probably a small town in Texas or even Oregon, like, and just, you know, say, oh, this is exactly, this looks like it's stuck in the 70s. Or the 50s, for that matter, because I think the house itself was really stuck in the 50s. Hell, that's um, a city in the Midwest. That's what, that's what Chicago looks like. Yeah. Oh, and fun fact about the house, they found that house, like, pretty much preserved in time, like, mold and all, and they sealed, like, all of the mold, <laughs> and they, like, they had to do some, like, cosmetic changes, but they, pretty much the house, like, found it, like, intact. Obviously, they added all the, like, blood and the whatever and the guts and stuff, but, like, the pretty much the house was, was intact, and the guy who, whose head is on a silver platter... I don't know, remember his name, but he is like a famous like film critic. And they like asked him if he and he always like walks around sets and you know, he like came onto the set and they were like, Hey, do you wanna like be like have your head in the <laughs> like in the movie? So anyways. Interesting. Do that. Uh Aaron, this is your hundred and first uh I'm assuming yeah. first time watching this movie. <laughs> uh and anything different for you? Any final thoughts? No, like I, I do really enjoy the movie. Um I, I think it holds up quite well and uh, the, the the main thing i don't like is obviously if, you, if you're looking at it from like a perspective of this is set in the 70s it just doesn't work for me okay. um I, I love the the plantation house I, I actually love a lot of things about this movie more than i do the original mm. um but i just feel like the biggest thing it suffers from is just the the story or maybe when it got to the editing room there's so many little small inconsistencies when you've watched it as many times as i have as well the more I watch it, maybe the the more I kind of go, oh. <laughs> like in the opening scene when they pick up the hitchhiker and she gets in and after like uh, 60 seconds, she starts crying about you're going the wrong way. But when they pick her up, she's walking the same direction. Yeah, she was walking. That oh, way. yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I noticed that, too. And there's just like lots of weird stuff like that, that I think maybe there was so many chiefs all this stuff got overlooked mm. mm-hmm. and it just seems to be a mismatch of like this is happening on a way to actually no, this is happening it just seemed really odd like even when i listened to the commentary track they talk about uh, in the middle of scenes and then they have to reset for an hour and they go across the field and like shoot some running scenes and oh we'll put them somewhere <laughs> oh, just kind right. of edit them Ugh. into the movie right yeah a lot of angry. a lot of those forest scenes where she's escaping or running through the forest and stuff those were all just afterthoughts they shot them and just put them in wherever oh it's a yeah. shame i mean they were beautiful but yeah when you're thinking about it like in a consistent like timeline you're like i don't get it because i think that was a nod to the original when the guy is running away from leatherface in the wheelchair yeah oh right um, and and that's the same when he cuts his leg with the chainsaw. That that happens in the original as well. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I do really enjoy the movie, but if you like, if you really start to pick it apart, there's a lot of stuff there with the the editing and the story yeah. that just bug me. Bug and me. I wonder if there was just like a little bit of um, a, there's a lot of pressure to remake the movie. You know, like they, maybe they like just set mm-hmm. themselves up for not for failure because it was still I think it was really successful. And it, and I think. For people who are fans at the time, and I can't speak to this, but you know, just from what I've heard and from what you guys have even said, like it's it's entertaining and it's a really good kind of remake, I guess, because it's not a shot for shot remake, which I feel like if they tried to do that, people would have been just as upset. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe they kind of set themselves up, maybe just to to try to do something so big, and they just I don't know, maybe 
went maybe a bit off a little bit more than they could chew. Yeah, because I, I think the original plan was for a um, a new trilogy, and then right. maybe halfway through, they weren't sure whether it was going to be greenlit, so they started to change things on the fly. Mm. And like I think it was, um, there's a really famous critic, uh, Robert, can't think of his name, um, and he had a website and stuff that reviews Ebert? everyone, but he... Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I don't he, know his yeah, first name, but I'm pretty zero. sure it's yeah, like the the Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Yeah. He 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 gave that a I think a zero. Oh yeah, right. And he said it was just gore for the sake of gore and terrible and it just ruined the entire franchise. I mean, not th- not that I'm gonna be Man. like, oh he has a point. But when you think about it too, I I think it's a very like two thousands remake of this film right Can, am i right to say mm-hmm. that in the 2000s that's the like horror porn era right because that's when saw comes out so is this can, can i be right in saying that like this is kind of like a 2000s remake of this film where it's a little bit of gore for gore's sake not that i'm saying like i loved all of it but i, I think it's you, it's a little bit of that you mean indicative of the time exactly yeah because yeah, you had like wrong turn and the hills of eyes remakes and stuff ah, i forgot about wrong turn god yeah. i have a movie i need to rewatch. such a good movie <laughs> so am i right in saying that like this is kind of this movie was made like if you were trying to make the, the way that like horror the horror canon is kind of set up in the early 2000s like this re- this movie really was made kind of in this moment where these kinds of movies were coming out the what you know he was saying as like the horror for horror sake kind of a thing but if you were to try to make it today, maybe it would be a totally different movie because we just make horror movies and maybe in a little bit different way than we do back then. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, it's really hard to like review a a horror movie in general. I mean, like, well, that's actually really hard to say because like, or I I think you could review Midsummer, like Hereditary, for instance, like both Ari Aster movies, um, mm-hmm. as like in the same way that you would like any film that would be like considered for like an Academy Award or something like that. But right. like when you're going for a slasher movie, I mean like a lot of times it's it's like the Christmas argument. You don't, you don't review a, a Christmas movie as to like, if it's a good movie, you just watch it because you enjoy it. Like slasher movies. Right. I feel part of it has to be preserved. Just like, like it, in, uh, like completely like impenetrable to like reviews because they're just fun they're just like something you you have fun watching i don't know yeah and that that's definitely i think probably a style at a time and platinum dunes i think that's michael bay's company yeah like they've done a lot of remakes and stuff and they all kind of feel kind of similar like the amityville horror the hitcher uh, they done friday the 13th right. i think they've done the nightmare on Elm street remake they mm-hmm. all kind of have that feel yeah, uh, they are, uh, even though it's spread over five, six years, they, yeah. they kind of have a similar feel. So it's interesting because it's probably like the the studio that the movie is coming out of, you know, the kind of the team that Michael Bay wants to get. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the aesthetics of the films mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And not only the time period, but I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's some movies that definitely I, I think when you put when you do a remake of a movie, you're definitely setting yourself up for comparison and for critique in that way right yeah i mean i found the uh, the found footage aspect to be really really cool um it was something that like as a kid it didn't like really affect me as much today but like the nostalgia of like remembering being like a kid and like watching this movie being like 14 years old and seeing like that it really like added something to be like 
pose it as this real thing, you know, this police footage. I thought that was really cool. It, like, really brought it to life for me. And, like, it had, like, a legend to it that Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. And I think that's, like, the Blair Witch effect, too, a little bit, you know? The Blair Witch had a, a very similar effect on me. I was very into, like, the fact that these things could potentially be real and in the world. Like, that... To this day, I mean, like, I don't believe in Bigfoot, but, like, I I like to entertain the fact that we might not know everything that's going out there. We might have footage of things that, I don't know. I, I, I like the mysticism behind things. Yeah. I also really like the sound design in this movie, especially when she goes to the meat processing plant. It's just this cacophony of sounds when she's finding the meat cleaver, the pigs, um, the whirring of the, of the machinery. Um, I thought it all culminated to make a really really tense moment in in regards to personalities i really related to morgan most of all the entire time he was the he was the logic up until he pointed the gun at the sheriff uh mm-hmm. he was the logic he was like let's get the fuck out of here let's hey you know this weird thing happened let's get in our van and and go please uh whereas Jessica Alba's character, kind of in the same way that uh, James from The Strangers kind of had an effect on me. I felt Mm -hmm. like every decision that she made was the wrong decision. Uh, You know, let's stay here. Let's get mixed up with this. This is it's clearly like a weird situation. Why are you trying to stay here? I don't know. Yeah, like, let's go get help. But like, let's keep, you know, getting ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper, like into this, yeah, (laughs) this thing. And it's just like meanders into the mills. Like, why are you looking for trouble? Just wait like you were supposed to. Yeah, it seems like contrast for contrast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of characters, yeah, because Morgan is really relatable. Like even even the scenes with the sheriff when he's like crying and he's like kind of vomiting and stuff. It, yeah. it seems so real, and then it switches from that to, to Jessica, uh, her character, and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. But just running around. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've come to one of the final sections of the podcast. Uh, we got to rate this movie. Um, so, uh, and, and we usually do, I'll, I'll let Caitlin go first just to kind of exemplify what I mean, but like we usually <laughs> come up with some sort of rating system on the spot. Is it too obvious to do chainsaws? I was just going to (laughs) say. Or like leather faces? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Oh, man. I want to pick. Like, I can't think of anything else now except for chainsaws. All right. I'm going to give this a five and a half out of ten chainsaws. Cool. Uh, Aaron? I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. You can vote your heart. That's fine. That's totally okay. Yeah, I have to. (laughs) Yeah. I'm an emotional voter personally. I vote for nostalgia. I vote for like everything I liked when I was a kid. So like I'm I'm, like, like I'm probably going to go like 7.5 or something like that. Uh, Chainsaws, maybe two dismembered legs and then a uh, uh, meat, one meat cleaver. Um, there you go. Yeah, that's Just my. Throw that in there. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's such a good movie. Anyhow, 
good movie. It, it was a good movie. I mean, it's definitely, it's also one of those things where it's like me coming into this, like not knowing anything about anything and like having to learn so much about just the genre and all of these different movies that were so iconic. It was entertaining. I, I thought it was entertaining for sure. Yeah. And I wasn't as scared as I thought I was. It's funny <laughs> when you go into these movies, like I didn't, wasn't as scared as I thought I was going to be. You go into these movies and you're like, oh man, here it is. It's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm going to be so scared. But you're like, oh yeah. I like, oh, and that was one of the things I wanted to say. And it's kind of segueing is I think uh, it was pretty predictable. Like a lot of the jump scares sure. and a lot of the ways that he kind of came at them. I think we're pretty predictable, but it still made it pretty entertaining for me. And I'm not like asking that as like a, a bet, like don't be like don't like really pick a movie that's gonna 100 scare me a lot. But like <laughs> you know, I'm like it's it's like okay, I feel like or maybe I'm just warming up to the genre, you know? Sure. Yeah, you've you've got a lot to learn, young Padawan. I know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yikes. Aaron, could you please uh, possibly remind us of all of your uh, all of your handles, please? Yeah, so anywhere you get podcasts, it's just Class Horrorcast. And then everywhere else, it's First Class Horror, except on Twitter, it's Class underscore Horror, because somebody else has that name. That I'm sucks. Not sure why. That's bullshit. Yeah, I know, right? I'm going to cyber bully them. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Aaron. Well, thank, you. thank you so much. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge. You're welcome back anytime if if you so choose. Um, and uh, yeah, we uh, we hope you keep being spooky, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. And um, maybe if we do it again, we might do uh, the sequel or prequel to this. Oh, then, then we yeah, then we can really put a movie down. Yes, <laughs> I, I can't it. wait. I want the like weirdest like just doesn't. I want the Jason and or not Jason. Oh, that's another one. Sorry. The leather face in space, you know, like I want to go. I want yeah, to leprechaun that. in space. Oh, God. So good. <laughs> that's gonna be our like once once we get into like making kind of shorter episodes for like a Patreon or something. We'll bring you in, Aaron, mm-hmm. and we'll do like weird episodes that are just like sequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the really bad ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I that's love a good it idea. So I like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, you can find us um, at You Slay Me Podcast on Instagram, and you can find our podcast anywhere you can get podcasts. I mean, this is cu- this isn't coming out for a while, but if we haven't hit a hundred followers by this point, uh, we are running a, a D and D match at our hundredth uh, subscriber. Um, uh, so we would we yeah. would love to take suggestions um, if. You want to see something like that? Uh, we need to get to a hundred subscribers. Uh, and it looks like this one's gonna come out on January sixth. So happy New Year, everyone! Hopefully, twenty twenty one is a lot better than twenty twenty. But I don't know. I think it's like gonna be like twenty twenty light. Any any we'll predictions see. for the New Year, anyone? Good. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna start my acting career. Um, yeah, I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna be in horror movies next year. We'll see. Awesome. We could we could make a horror movie. I want to like be a person who comes in and is like, guys, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> you know, like I want to be a continuity expert in a movie. I think that'd be a good job for me. Me too. We'll uh we'll make Let's a we'll make an Instagram story horror movie. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so much fun. <laughs> Over, you know, you being in either California yeah. or Oregon, me being in the yeah. Midwest, like, we'll okay. figure it out. We'll figure it out. That'll be great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, we hope everybody gets home safe. <laughs>